Hi, I'm Sakita Holly. I am an award-winning publicist and entrepreneur obsessed with transforming brands, and I am dedicated to sharing everything that I've learned along the way to help you win at work, in business, and everywhere in between. On this podcast, you will have direct, unfiltered access to your favorite creatives, entrepreneurs, and executives, and the methods that have made both them and myself successful. This is the Sakita Method. To live tweet this episode, use the hashtag the Sakita Method and be sure to tag me at Miss Success, that's M I S S Success, on both Instagram and Twitter. Today's guest is Julian Adele. Julian is the founder of Ajua Beauty, a clean, gender neutral beauty brand for kinky, curly hair textures. Prior to launching the brand in 2017, Julian had a long and successful track record in the beauty industry, which started with her earning her cosmetology license in high school, owning and then selling two salons in the late 90s, early 2000s, and later joining the natural hair movement in 2012 with the launch of her blog in Dallas-based natural hair expo, Bella Case. Her beauty and business expertise have been sought after by top retailers and some of the biggest brands in the industry. And today, with Ajua Beauty, she is looking to turn that expertise into a legacy brand all of her own that will still be enjoying 30 plus years from now. Welcome to the show, Julian. Thank you for having me, Sakita. I really appreciate it. I'm super excited to have you here because I just think your story is so interesting in the path that you're taking as now a beauty product founder is much different than I've seen other brands take. Um, so I definitely am excited to to chat with you about that today. But first, I, I just want to know, how are you feeling? Um, I'm feeling good. I'm very blessed, but I'm a little overwhelmed. Um, there's a lot happening in the world and there's a lot happening in my personal world of course we launched um in retail during a pandemic so there's a lot there but there's a lot of good things happening so you know it's there's there's just a lot but I'm feeling good how are you feeling you know overwhelmed I think is is a good word because and and I think about something a friend of mine says where how it's amazing how we can be blessed in the midst of a storm like right now with the pandemic and everything that's happening there's still so much that I'm finding to be grateful for so that's what I'm choosing to lean into instead of kind of spiraling with you know if it's a minor inconvenience or if things aren't going well I'm like just focus on the good Um, So that's kind of where I am. And I'm happy that you touched on you guys launching in retail because that's where I want to start. So first I have to say congratulations. And for those who don't know, Ajua Beauty recently launched on shelf at Sephora. Now this is a big deal for any brand founder, but in your case, Ajua is one of only eight black owned brands sold in Sephora of which only three focus on hair care. What does this accomplishment mean to you? I don't even know if I could put it into words, to be honest with you. Um, It's so huge, not only for Audra Beauty, but for my overall community. Um, We we got a lot of retail offers. I mean, everybody offered to put us on shelf, Target, you know, Ulta, everybody. And uh, we turned it down because I never intended on going on shelf. And if I was, definitely not two and a half years into it. 
And uh, I, I didn't even pitch myself. We were j- I just had my head down doing the work. I created an amazing brand that I believe in. And I was in Dallas. I mean, we haven't really been to any trade shows. I couldn't leave outside of Dallas because I'm still in the day-to-day work. And Sephora reached out to me February of 2019. They had learned about our brand from Instagram and a couple of their members brought it to their attention. And we had a conversation in February and I still was kind of unsure, but I sent them all of our products and they they gave it to some of their employees, I'm assuming that are black. And three weeks later, they reached out wanting to establish a relationship. So just in the mere fact that a huge, the number one beauty retailer reached out to me um, for Audra Beauty, one of the questions that I've been getting recently is how did you pitch the Sephora? And I kind of feel weird because I don't have an elaborate story that people are looking for. I'm like, I didn't. Um, and I don't want to come off as ego, but I truly didn't. And um, it's just, it's crazy. One of the reasons that I wanted to launch into Sephora specifically, one, when I started talking to them, I just really, really loved the relationship and we were aligned with how I wanted to go. And I was very, very blunt with them. I was a hundred percent Julian and they accepted that and, and, and welcome welcomed it and and even asked for more. But two, I I needed Black people to understand that everywhere is for us. You know what I mean? Not just Target, not just Walmart. And there is nothing wrong with being in Target or Walmart, nothing at all. But every time I met another brand owner, their goal, they didn't see past Target. And I needed to be an example Yes, some of us can go in Target, but some of us need to also look at other retail avenues. There's no reason why there should be only eight Black brands out of 290 and and only three hair care. And natural hair is, is such a saturated market. So for me, we had the option of sitting everywhere, but it's super important as we move through this relationship one, for my customers to feel good about going into a Sephora and that they belong there, but then also for brand owners that are looking at retail or creating brands or aspiring to create brands to have Sephora on their mood board or, you know, as well. So, you know, I knew it would take a brand like Audra Beauty and, and I kind of put my myself out in the trenches for that. So what we're doing here means, it means more than meets the eye to me, honestly. Yes. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I read in previous interviews that you did that there were two things. One, you when you set out to launch the brand, you kind of made um, a promise to yourself or, or just something where you said, we're going to focus on building this brand and we're not going to go into retail until, you know, after five years, obviously two and a half years. God, we make plans. God laughs. And then another thing is that you were always intentional about Sephora kind of being the target or a Sephora type prestige retailer being the target. So how did that feel when that call came? When you've you've always been intentional, maybe you didn't pitch, but everything that you've done to to launch the company, to 
with the formulas, with the packaging, with the aesthetic was the design so that you could be on a prestige shelf? Um, I, so for the formula, when I, I, I interviewed several cosmetic chemists mm-hmm. and I guess a standard question that they will ask their clients is, you know, where does this formulation sit? That question helps them formulate, helps them source ingredients. You know, like coconut oil isn't just coconut oil. There's different grades of oil. So you can get 99 cents coconut oil at the beauty supply, or you can get $50 coconut oil at, you know, Whole Foods. Um, So sourcing is important. Packaging is important. And they asked, you know, if we were to formulate, if this product was to sit on shelf, where would it sit? And I was like, not going to sit on shelf. We don't want to go to shelf. And they asked me the question three times. They were like, Julian, I know. We know it does. You don't want it to go on shelf. But if it were to go on shelf, where do you see it sitting? Because at the time, I didn't know why they were asking me. And I was like, probably Sephora. Saying Sephora because of the experience that you get when you go shop in Sephora. So I I had the pleasure of working with Black-owned brands behind the scenes in the industry. And then around about 2015, I started freelancing for Sally Beauty. So I had Black-owned brand and corporate hair care brand experience. And I was completely anti-retail. I was not going to go into retail. And the reason that I was anti-retail was because how I assumed retail to be um, for Black brands. I just didn't like the way that Black brands marketed being in retail, not because the brand was doing anything wrong, but I didn't understand why we had to keep talking about, like, I didn't understand why, like, when I was working for my clients, why a Target logo had to be on every single picture, why a Walmart logo had to be on every single picture because when I saw white brands or mainstream brands that was in Target and Walmart, they were just marketing their product. They weren't marketing for Target. So I was just like, I felt like the retail industry was using us, my community, to bring traffic. And I didn't like how, like just market so I fell in love with digital marketing. That's kind of like my jam. And I was to create all these campaigns for the brand. And I'd had a, a photographer, you know, that I would hire to take photos for my brand. And we take a nice photo and they want to put a Target logo on it. I'm like, why? Just saying the caption, if your brand is at every Target, why you got to put Target logo? Like, it was just those little small nuances. So, and then also I didn't like how, I know brands have to have newness because people like newness, but I also didn't like all these, in my opinion, collections that didn't really make sense. Like, I understand we need more collections, but I didn't know why we needed 50, 100 collections. And my experience where, you know, retails want new, you know, what's happening next? And so I, yeah, yeah. So with all of that, I was like, we are not going into retail. And then every time I went to the beauty supply, every time I went to Target, I would automatically become their employee. I'd be standing in an aisle to go buy my hair care products, and there's ten women in the aisle that don't know what to get because there's so much on the shelf, and there's nobody to help them. 
So with all of those experiences, I was like, when I create Audio Beauty, I'm not putting it on the shelf for those reasons, because I want people. And then the, another way that brands usually market is they'll launch a new collection. They just send it to influencers. There's no education from the brand on how to use the products. You formulated these products. You best know how to use it. Why leave it to influencers to tell people? To tell the story. Uh, so all those little things throughout my experience, I was like, okay, I'm going to create a brand. It's going to be direct to consumer. We're going to open showrooms so that we can create the experience for the customer. Like she can come get it in a nice bag. She can ask questions. She can try it on her hair. So kind of like the Sephora experience. Um, and so that's why I said Sephora. I didn't say Sephora actually thinking we'd be in Sephora. Um, and then when Sephora came calling me, uh, you know, two years into it, it was kind of crazy at the same time. But I'm also a woman of faith. So I do understand from other things in my personal life that words, you you manifest your life by the words that you say and your thinking. So if I look at everything, I had branded and marketed and website and packaged for it to sit on Sephora. So it's natural that they would come to me, um, but I didn't think they would actually do it. You know what I mean? Um, wow. Yeah, but to your point, there's not a lot of Black brands in Sephora, but one of the initial conversations that I had with Sephora when they asked, why did you create Audra Beauty? And I was like, because I wanted to see a modern, clean, prestige brand for Black people. Like, even when Black people could create brands, we're only creating drugstore brands. And again, there's nothing wrong with drugstore brands, but we're not... We need to be everywhere in corporate America and in business. There's like a whole bunch of us in this lane and these lanes are empty. And everybody that's coming behind us only sees that crowded lane and cre and making the lane more crowded, which didn't make sense to me. So I just wanted black people, multicultural people have more options, have something that was top shelf, had something that they could feel a little bit bougie about. That's who they were. That's who I am. So I just, wanted, I just wanted something different, a different experience. I wanted to do what white people do for white people for us, to yeah. be honest. And, and I love, I love everything that you said and how you didn't change who you were when Sephora came to you and had that conversation. You were very frank with them. And what's interesting is that, you know, over the last couple of months, Sephora was actually one of the first companies that took Aurora James's 15% pledge to increase shelf space in all of their stores for more Black-owned brands. So they are now looking to create, continue to create more opportunities because, again, why out of 290 is there only eight? So I'm looking forward to see what comes after you. And I think that you and a few other brands are definitely setting, you know, that blueprint for what comes next. Um, I read that in 2018, like you said, you turned down other retailers. Retailers have been knocking at your door since day one. One of them, like you said, was Target and you shared why. Um, a conversation that has been happening lately on social media has centered around seeing more Black women in luxury and how Black women define luxury. How do you define luxury? Um, I think luxury, luxury is about service. Um, I think luxury is a price point because when you go shop luxury, they treat you different. 
You know, there might be a, a somebody that comes up to your car and go parks it for you. You go in, you're going to be offered a glass of champagne. You get concessions that other people don't do, you know, that other stores just do not get. So I think the luxury client, the, the, the luxury client is to be made special, like that exclusivity kind of feel like she, she or he is not just a number. They're actually a value, uh, customer or client or whatever it is you're going to give them. Um, it's about the experience. It starts from when the customer is on your website how easily they can navigate your website, the imagery, the aesthetics, the checkout process, the shipping process, even carriers. Um, when they get their package, how does it look when they open the box? I think luxury and then we're prestige. So we're definitely not in the luxury category with Audra Beauty. We're more right underneath it with prestige. And, you know, I, I think it's more about service, quality of product formulation making sure you don't skimp that you're charging $36 for a deep conditioner. I go to sleep at night because I know that it's worth it. I know how we source our ingredients. I know that we have actual higher percentages in there than industry standard. It's not 0.0001% of baobab oil. Um, so I, I believe in the product that I'm giving and I feel the luxury experience or the prestige experience is the overall. And if that customer has an issue, you know, if her package gets lost or any kind of issue, how do you take care of them? Luxury prestige customer service takes money because if you're a small black brand and you don't have the inventory, you don't have the money. How do you really provide experience? How do you get all of the little merch and knickknacks and do, you know, give samples and do all of those things. And I think that that's where we can't compete because of the funding. So it's amazing. And I wouldn't expect anything of Sephora to be the first to take the 15% pledge because they have been an amazing partner to me and has, have really held my hand um, through this process and continue to hold my hand. But Beyond taking the pledge, how many businesses are ready for a Sephora shelf from a financial perspective, you know? So I think that that's where the bottleneck is for our community. It's like, you could want to be in Sephora, but how do you fulfill that first PO? How do you get there? And then yeah. have 12 weeks of inventory to ship to them weekly if nobody's giving us money. So I wish, Aurora, I mean, no disrespect to Aurora James. I think the conversation she started is important. But I hope she has another pillar where there's some sort of incubator from ideation to, you know, formulation to financing to sitting on Sephora shelf because wanting to be on shelf and them giving shelf, they're not, they're, they're just going to give the shelf space. There has to be the brands um, that, you know, they're not going to sacrifice their brand ethos. Like Sephora is not going to become different brand. It's still Sephora. So you still need to have that capital to to be prepared. And I think that that's where it gets sticky for us. So we need how to be happy. How did you prepare for that? How did you prepare or how were you ready? I'm, I wasn't ready. I just, you know, like I posted a post on social media, we were trying to get money and we couldn't, you know, I had purchase orders from Sephora and I just needed a little bit of money and I just couldn't from anywhere. And a friend um, 
helped me, helped introduce me to somebody. And after four days, he literally gave me the money that I needed. And that's how I was able to go into Sephora. So, uh, you know, it, it's rough <laughs> um, because, again, they don't just, you. it's not just about that first order. It's about fulfilling weekly orders. And so you have to have that available to ship. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we're still in the trenches. We're by no means, because we're doing so well and who would have thought COVID would have increased online orders as much as it did, which is amazing, but it's also a problem because a good thing can be a bad thing if you're not prepared. <laughs> so that's why I said it's a little overwhelming. So on one hand, we're doing well. We can't stay in stock on Sephora at the stores and on our website. And on the other hand, you know, we need to manage our supply chain, get packaging and have products sitting down to ship weekly. So it's, it's very, very high stress, but one week at a time. <laughs> yeah. And that's a, that's a blessing, Julian. I'm really happy to hear that you're doing well, like the business is doing well. So it's like one of those things, no one wants a problem, but we'll take a good problem <laughs> over a bad one. I so, agree with perspective. <laughs> yeah. So your brand is often compared in media to Glossier, which is another beauty brand that has embraced the direct-to-consumer route. They've embraced showrooms and pop-up test shops instead of a traditional shopping experience so that they could have more control over that service aspect that you talked about earlier. How do you feel about that comparison and how, if any way, how, if in any way, has that brand influenced or inspired how you are building yours? I think that that's crazy. I think a D Magazine editor wrote that, and I thought that was nuts when she, when we saw what she wrote. I was like, "Are you serious? Like, billion dollar company, and I'm bootstrapping, trying to figure out what's going to happen in six months." Um, I think I, I don't know. That was that is crazy. That is overwhelming. I think Glossier is an amazing brand, and I admire Emily Weiss and what she did. Um, you know, I, I just didn't want a retail space with slab walls. Like I didn't want to do the same things that we did. I didn't want it to look like a store. I wanted, I live in a downtown loft. Um, that's actually looks like the showroom. So I'm like hugely into that industrial vibe aesthetics. Mm -hmm. And that's just representative in our space. And I would say, inadvertently I think maybe Glossier definitely inspired Ajwa Beauty in a way um I know I think skincare I'm inspired by the skincare industry more than hair care because one of the things that I do and that I set out to do with Ajwa Beauty is as you said I've been in hair since I was 14 so black hair is kind of what I did and Beauty was never in black hair and natural hair. It was almost like natural hair industry, beauty. It was, it's talked about. And I couldn't understand why. Like, I couldn't understand why hair, and I could be biased because I'm hair, I'm from the hair world, but I couldn't understand why hair was never part of the beauty conversation, why it was its own pillar when to complete a look, I don't care what you have on or how your skin look, if your hair is a mess, you can't pull that look. So I wanted to bring beauty into a black brand, like with our images, 
and, and people that we use. I wanted to have these hot. We don't use stock photography from day one. I took my own photos. I did every single model hair that you see on our websites or everybody. Um, same day, kinky, it doesn't matter. They all wear a wash and go to show their natural curl pattern. Um, and I just wanted Black people to see themselves high profile in beauty because I felt like that was missing. And then the clean aesthetic, to be honest with you, it was just more cost effective. It wasn't like this super thought out thing. We tend to think um, adding more looks better. Less is cheaper. You know, we got the packaging. It's just black font. You know what I mean? So if you go create labels and the more colors you have, the more expensive it is because they have to use more ink. So for me, it was more how do I keep this simple but still beautiful and how do I keep it cost effective? So while my brand looks expensive, other people that have more stuff on there probably paid more than me because we keep it so simple. You know, we I bought my font. We use the same font and everything. We use the same everything to keep the brand consistent, but we have the same voice. We keep it simple. We say the same thing 265 times. So and I think that that's the thing that my community doesn't understand and something that I hope to speak to more in the future is branding and marketing and just keeping it simple so that people, your words, the words for your brand become synonymous in the brains of the customers that you're trying to influence, um, having that repetition with your marketing. And that's what we've done. Like I, it, we, you know, I created the blueprint in the beginning and we just take what was you there and, and follow it. We, we're not like reinventing the wheel with anything. Um, so for me, it was just being simple, simple with our formulas, even with the naming of the products. I didn't want to get super creative. I didn't want it to be, you know, super tabulous, funky curl cream. No, I just wanted to keep everything really simple. It doesn't even make any claims anywhere on the bottle. It just says for texture hair, because I wanted the customer, I wanted my marketing to speak for itself. And then the customer to tell me how it's helped them or what it does. Now we have people like Audra Beauty for six months and I have so much growth. You will have so much growth because we use great ingredients. And if you're consistent with great ingredients, that's, it's like cause and effect for me. So, um, we keep it real simple and we rely on imagery, aesthetics, our marketing, clean um, to speak for ourselves. And the showroom was just, again, to have that touch point where in the beginning, I didn't have money for influencers. So, again, every decision was because, OK, I don't have the money. How do I do this but not make it look like I don't have the money? So for me, it was having and uh, being accessible because I can't send these products to influencers to review for me. One, I can't send the products, the inventory, I have to sell it to get more money. And two, I don't have money to pay the influencers. So how do I, how do I do this? You know, having an area, having a local place that people could walk in and if they try the gel and it didn't work, they can come in and tell me why it didn't work. And we have a sink and we can show you, yes, it works. And you have to do it this way. So it was like, okay, I can make that customer 
not want to return the product or not hate the product, I can turn her around. So it was just those type of thinkings and touch point. And then going back to my experience in the beauty aisle where I'm like teaching people about products. I didn't, I didn't want that. Like even black owned beauty supplies and hair salons was reaching out to us to wholesale. And I was like, I don't want it to just sit on the shelf. And I know it's the new hot brand to have. And I know it's going to bring people in your store, but I don't, yeah, I don't want that. I think you've done a fantastic job with, even even if you had to be strategic about how you allocated your dollars, I think every decision that you've made from things like your packaging, your font, your brand colors, the aesthetic of the images, I think you've done a fantastic job about that. You touched on something about how the conversation between beauty and in natural hair care has always been separate. And recently on social media, you posted something that was reflective of a conversation I've been having behind the scenes about skincare. I feel like over the last 10 to 15 plus years, the natural hair space for us, obviously it underwent a renaissance. There are many more black owned, black founded brands on the marketplace, but we haven't seen that same renaissance um, in the skincare space for Black women, for multicultural women. But I think it's happening literally as we speak. Why do you think it's taken so long to catch on in terms of the full scope of beauty for Black women? I mean, hopefully we don't ever have to bring up systemic racism in this conversation because we all know it exists. Yes. So yes. I think that's definitely it. Because even with the word indie, like I was asking three years ago, why is, does indie beauty brand mean white girl brand? Everybody that's not tied with a conglomerate is independent. So I, I don't know how that got monopolized, but I think that that exists. But I also think that we were the cause because in the beginning, we we were only using black soap and shea butter. You know, yeah. we weren't making AHAs and serums and, you know, potions and vitamin C. That was usually education. Yeah. So it's education. So we were buying. The thing is when we only make things that we use and, and package it in a way that we understand it stays in our community, even though mainstream Mm. see what we're doing on social media, it doesn't become mainstream until white people can use it. So until we can, you know, we hadn't put, shea butter in a really nice packaging where shea butter could sit on Sephora. We never did that. Shea butter is always in a plastic container with paper label or a glass container with paper label. So again, going back to the way we market. Um, So I think it was partly us. Now I'm finding a lot of amazing Black women-owned skincare brands that have toners and vitamin C. So I think now we're making those products that can be universal, but it also go, goes back culturally. Black women, we didn't really do skincare. I mean, we put Vaseline on our face and cocoa butter. We don't have or the skincare in prior to social media. We weren't wearing makeup like we do now. I mean, if you wore makeup as a black woman, you were like super progressive. We might have lipstick and some lip gloss and some lip liner, but full yeah, face. That was the whole extent. That was that was the full extent. So where something new is happening because of social media and because of the younger generation, they're wearing a lot more makeup, a lot more makeup newer. So now we do need skincare along with global warming and all the other pollutions that's happening. So I think we're shifting as black people. I would say 
I had a conversation with a friend who's African. I called her up and I said, what beauty rituals do we have in Africa? And she and mm. I sat there for 20 minutes thinking about it. And we don't, we don't, we don't use anything beauty. No, we have hair, you know, right. we, with the birth and all of that. We have clothes, but skincare, no, we wash our face with bar soap and we put some Vaseline or cocoa butter or shea butter. And we're, that's it. We don't sit there and do peels and we don't do that. We, we didn't have to. So I think that that shifting, I, I feel like that contributed to why we didn't catch on um, as quick. I think culturally that just wasn't our focus. I mean, black women can be 60 years old and look 30. Um, so, you know, I think it's culturally, I think some of it is systemic, but I am super happy to see these amazing black owned skincare brands with great packaging. Every time I see it, I buy it, whether I need it or not. Cause I think anytime I see black people with packaging that it looks a certain way, I buy it because to me, we need more of that. We need more of that so that they there's no excuse. Like we're we're ready for Sephora shelf. We're ready for Ota shelf. Now, once we've taken away all of the barriers of packaging, of financing, there's no reason why we shouldn't be in those spaces. So I think fighting Beyonce had something on her website that really, really struck a chord with me recently when she uh did the black uh the black parade. Yeah, the Black Parade. She said, uh, your Black excellence is your protest. And mm. it's really true. It's your, to do everything that you do, anything that you do at the top, 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 don't skimp, learn it, read trade magazines and publications. That is your protest. And I think it all goes back to even when you see Audra Beauty, because that's why all those people was attracted to us and I didn't have to pitch for retail because they, white people have always wanted one or two black people. They may not want a hundred, but they all want to look like they're diverse. You know what I mean? So if they can't find it, then they're not going to put it. They're also not going to go out of their way. So I think we need to create the brands to be ready for that space and then when we create the brands and we're in that space, we also need to hold them accountable to make that space comfortable for our people. So it's not enough to just have a seat at the table. You you also need to have a voice um, at right. that table. Mm-hmm. So I want to I wanna go backwards a bit. Uh, you and I first connected several years ago when you were running the Bella Kings blog and expo. When did you get the idea to launch Ajua Beauty during that time? Like, can you walk me through like your thought process from like ideation and the steps you took to make it a reality? I never wanted a product line. I think that's the probably uh, assumption looking at my journey. It makes sense because I started doing hair, but uh, I was freelancing for Sally Beauty in 2014. So Sally Beauty hired me to do their all of their digital marketing for their multicultural brand, Silk Elements. Um, so I helped them market it on social media and then also um, worked with them to create packaging for their new lines underneath Silk Elements. And then in 2017, I helped them launch their, their more millennial line, Texture ID. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, I was 
doing some work for Curls and a couple other brands. And I pitched Audra Beauty to all of those people. I did not want to do it. I didn't have the money to do it. I didn't. My dream when I worked in the salon, when I was doing expos, was not to have a brand. I, I wasn't interested in it. I wanted to do digital marketing for brands. Um, brands that want to work with me or pay me. Um, I don't know. I've been treated like an outsider in this industry. I guess it, it, maybe some people are intimidated um, and might be some other reasons there. I'm not really sure, but all I wanted to do was to do what I'm doing for Audra Beauty for somebody else. So I pitched Audra Beauty to Curls and to a couple other brands and, and Sally Beauty and everybody loved it. I wanted a clean, gender neutral brand for, for black people, for a millennial focused. I basically gave them my entire business plan. And, you know, it was it, it was received well, but there was no execution. And I kept wanting to see it. Around this time, which was 2016, there was a modernization happening on social media. I had just gotten into skincare. So I was shopping at Sephora Heavy, which is why I probably said Sephora, because of my shopping experience to my, to my chemist. And I was like just into aesthetics. Like, you know, you saw Casper with the mattresses being modern. You saw Warby Casper mattress. I yeah, you her glasses. <laughs> and their branding. I mean, I wanted to buy a new mattress because their social media is off the freaking chain. I'm like, in the grand scheme of things, they are selling mattresses and it looks so cool on social media. Um, and then like the Glossier with the Millennial Pink and all these other brands. Like I just saw white people making everyday old things new again with the modernization of it. And I could not understand why we couldn't do that within hair and black hair. Like everybody was using the same damn bottles, the same packaging, just a different label. I'm like, all oh, y'all gonna have brown bottle? Like there is nothing different out there. And so I pitched it, I kept, I kept pitching it and I just wasn't getting any traction. And then one day I woke up March of 2016, I woke up and I was like, you know, I'm gonna just do it myself. And I didn't know how I was going to do it. I just figured I have a little bit of money saved. I'm going to at least make the formulas and have it sitting down and then do one thing and have it sitting down. And then once I got started, I just never stopped. Um, I told Sally Beauty what I was doing and and to make sure that it wasn't a conflict of interest and they were okay with it. So whenever I get paid, I sold my house because I got a divorce and I moved in with my mom. So I would pay my mom after her rent and I would keep my entire paycheck from Sally Beauty. And every month when I got paid, I would pay for my website or pay for my logo or pay. I would do that until I had a complete, complete brand. Um, and so I left Audra Beauty, one, out of um, lack of opportunity in the industry without being able to have a creative outlet for a brand because that's really what I wanted to do. Two, out of frustration for no one wanting to execute against this idea, but everybody thought it was a good idea. I, I tried to pitch the clean, modern, modern, gender neutral brand, but I also tried to pitch a completely social media heavy brand. Like, like I would do Instagram and social media for brands, 
And if I charge them a thousand dollars a month, they would think that that's too expensive. And that's with me taking photos. That's with me doing everything. And I'm like, this is nothing. Like I was working in corporate America, so I wasn't even looking to like earn income. I was just really looking for proof of concept. So I would pay photographer. I would pay um, the girl that was in college to do the social media. I would pay, basically they pay me and I'll turn around and pay these girls. But I wanted them to invest more into social media and they just did not want to do it. They didn't want to do it with great imagery. They didn't want to do it with you know, creating their own content, video content, video production. They just didn't want to do it. So I wanted to prove that I could build a brand and be successful 100% just on digital. And that's really what I set out to do. And that's what I did. So that's kind of how Audra Beauty, I guess, um, you know, doors not being open um, led me here. And I'm <laughs> now I'm so grateful that no one wanted to work with me. <laughs> I told a brand that in 2017 that was that was at the Bella Kings Expo, the last one that I had, that I would I would like would constantly call me up and I would tell them different things about marketing. I was like, yeah, y'all didn't want to hire, you know, no one wanted to hire me. And she was like, I would have hired you. I was like, but you didn't. And I would talk to you for two hours, giving you ideas. So, you know, it's like people in this industry, I find I don't know. I guess I'm using the word intimidated because three or four people have told me that I intimidate them. But I'm like, I am who I am, but I'm pretty. I'm, you you just focus on, on the work. <laughs> and what's interesting in, in my work as, you know, owning a PR firm, working with brands in this space, everything that you said is so true. It's like they do not want to invest the money. And it's like no matter how many times you show them that there's a blueprint like this works. We can point to other examples and they'll do it for a little bit, but then they'll pull back or they'll cut the budget. And it's kind of like, do you not understand? Like, why are you shooting yourself in the foot? You know, so I that that level of frustration is something that I am very familiar with. And it's, it's really interesting to me that brands, you know, they've come around to social media, but they're still hesitant to really go all in. Um, and, and there are still brands in this space that don't even have their own e-commerce, which is wild to me in 2020. Yeah, especially post-COVID. Well, during COVID. Listen, and it's like when you have to completely rely on external retail channels and you, you really don't have a chance, like you talked about earlier, to control your message, to control the experience that your consumers are having. And, you know, I work with a lot of legacy brands and they just won't, you know, make that switch. And I'm like, this is the biggest thing that you could do. Like if a legacy brand, you guys have all these resources really invested in their e-commerce. I mean, it, it makes sense, but it's just like, how could you just not see the vision? So I'm glad that you took the vision and you created something that is now becoming an industry example of how to do it right. So I, I want to talk about just some of the, the challenges 
that you have experienced, you know, getting to this point now? You know, you, you've talked about people not really understanding, um, you know, the digital marketing aspect or the need for a brand that's di direct to consumer in space, which led you to launch. But as you were looking for funding, as you were, you know, formulating, can you talk about just the challenges to getting the product created in, in your hand? To be honest, the only real, I mean, there was a learning curve for me because I didn't know anything about this. Like I knew how to do hair and do expos and events, but that was it. Like I didn't know anything about retail or anything about formula. But I'm resourceful personally. Like I'll Google and YouTube the hell out of some things and read. So I've always been in tune. So, I mean, it would take me a while, like I'll be at home for the weekend and just reading and on my laptop. So those, I wouldn't say that, the, you know, formulating was really a challenge. It was just more about me reading and understanding what I, what I'm doing. And I made some mistakes along the way, of course, but they weren't detrimental. It was, I, I made the right mistakes. I think the most kind of mistakes, you know, like, um, I probably, Let's see. I probably wouldn't have launched with nine SKUs. That was really, really ambitious. We launched with nine. I launched my brand <laughs> with nine SKUs. No one has done that in this industry. No, yeah, no one. Say that's pretty unheard of. No one launches with nine SKUs with no money, with no backing. Um, we launched with uh, six products, uh, shampoo, deep conditioner, leave-in conditioner, cream, gel, oil. But then the deep conditioner cream and gel came in eight and 16 ounce jars. I don't know what mm. the hell I was thinking, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> it didn't really dawn on me as I'm kind of my, I'm my personality is confusing. Cause I think people give me more credit than that's actually happening with me. So I'm a bit naive on stuff. I think, um, things can happen or I could do stuff or don't really, I'm not an, Okay, I research and I get information, but I'm not the person that needs all the information to start something. So when I when I was formulating and I just kept going and I wanted to have a complete wash day because in my brain it didn't make sense to just launch with a deep conditioner. Then I'm gonna have to send her to buy somebody else's shampoo, and then like I just needed her to have everything. So. I spent the money that I had launching all of these different things. I wasn't even thinking, now I've got to buy it to sell it. I wasn't even thinking that until the end. And then I get the purchase, you know, the purchase order. And I'm like, where am I going to get this money? So that was interesting. Um, so that was a lot of things are just basically my naiveness. And then they end up working out. But to the outside world, it looks like, oh, Julian got it all together. Like no, intentional, no. like strategic, like, yeah. Yeah, like she just put all the plays in motion yeah. and she just hit the jackpot. Exactly. I'm a thinker, but I, I there's a part of my brain that is not overly cautious like most people. And so I'll just put myself out on the ledge. And then once I'm on the ledge, it's like, okay, now it's like sink or swim. Yeah. Um, I, I love that. And I, I actually have a, a quote that I say, decide and conquer. 
And I feel yeah. like clearly you embody that where you'll get a little bit of information and then once you make a decision, you just go for it. And that's something I think a lot of us can learn from. Like that's not a smart, like, like even launching into Sephora, we did that, buddy. We shouldn't have launched, but we did. You know what I mean? So it's, um, it's not always like on paper. It's not always what somebody will do, but it's my story and it's what I've done. Um, but to answer your question, I think the most challenge has been the money aspect um, and just getting funding um, that I've been. I mean, I knew that that was a challenge, of course. Um, I didn't know the extent of it because with Audra Beauty, I mean, I made sure to do, quote unquote, everything right. So that I wouldn't have, you know, so no one could tell me why I couldn't get money. Like my credit score was good. I have an accountant from day one. We manage our books in QuickBooks. I don't do nothing on the spreadsheet. I reconcile my expenses every week. I file my quarterly taxes. We file our yearly taxes. So everything, I give you my balance sheet. I give you my profit and loss. I wanted to make sure that I wasn't lacking anything where they could be like, you don't have this. And then when we went to get a loan, I mean, after bringing in almost a million dollars in our first year, like I couldn't even get $10,000 from Chase. And it wasn't even that um, it, it was like decline because of credit or whatever. They told me I didn't have enough deposits. And I was like, are you serious? <laughs> like some generic reason each time. Um, and even my friends that are here with me in the journey, I was like, if I'm telling people this, they'll never believe it. I got, I got to save all these letters. So one day when I write a book or whatever, it, it's just crazy. It's like people get money from an idea, pre-seed and on a napkin. And here I am having almost made a million dollars just from my store. And I cannot get a loan to buy more inventory. It was, it's wild to me. Um, so that has been extremely, extremely eye-opening for me, like the level that it goes to. And if I go apply for a car loan now, I'll get it. I'll get whatever I'm applying for, but I can't get a business loan. That's very real. That's not people complaining or people using the race card. Like I went through that myself. So I think that that has been eye-opening and disappointing at the same time. But, you know, I am working on... Um, uh, funding uh, 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 angel investment that I'm going to fund personally for Black women um, in the beauty business that I hope to launch um, next year. And in addition to providing capital, it's going to be full service. So we're going to help with packaging and branding and marketing because I think, you know, someone can give you a check, but if you don't know how to spend that check, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it doesn't really matter. So my experience has inspired me to make sure that, you know, I help it when I have the resources to do so. Can, can so I, I touch I, on that for a second? Uh-huh. What, what's interesting about us, Black people, Black women, Black business in, in general is that in, versus general market white white businesses, they get to enjoy their success and they don't think about giving back <laughs> in most cases. They don't, they don't, there's no obligation. There's really no, you know, there's, because there's equity for them, like you said, they can go and get funding. They can go to family and friends and raise around that way that they just go off into the sunset with their money. But we have so many 
things that we just think of? Like, do you think, how did, how do you process that? Where it's just like, not in even a selfish way, but it's like, we're always giving back. We're always, once we get in the door, we're holding it open for others, which obviously I think is a fantastic thing to do, but it kind of sucks when we're the only ones doing it. Yeah, I don't know. I I agree with you 100%. That is the way it is, but I'm also an African woman. So growing up culturally, that's what we do, especially immigrants we got to take care of our parents we don't graduate college and get a check you know we don't have that um that standard so just helping and giving back is just something we do um but honestly for me I consider it a privilege to be even able to do that and I do think it's for in my opinion I know everybody can spend their money and can do what they want but I think it's a moral obligation to do so. Um, For me, Audra Beauty is my company, yes, but I also feel like Black men and women are spending their money. They're giving me their money, and I have a responsibility to be smart with their money, and I want to show them, you invested in these products, you gave me this money, and this is what I did with it, because it, it doesn't sit well with me personally. I'm not judging how anybody else choose and what makes them happy. Everybody should do what's happy for them, what's, what, what makes them happy. But for people that can't, you know, afford to buy a million-dollar house, if you made my company millions and millions of dollars, and if all I'm doing is flossing my million-dollar house to you on social media. To me, that's stupid. It's like you're flossing in front of people that will probably never have what you have that contributed for you to have what you have. I don't know. It's just, it's just weird to me. But um, I think it's important for me to give back. I think we need to have more millionaires and more billionaires of Black people. I feel like systemic racism spans to money. I, I don't think money solves everything, but everywhere I travel in this world, in America, in the Caribbean, in Africa, Black people are suffering everywhere. There's so much poverty. And then even in countries like Jamaica or Africa, there's a white side of town and that side is thriving. And then you go on the other side and the local people there are poor. It's crazy to me. It's like everywhere. It's not just here. So I think if I can make two to three more people a millionaire in my lifetime, hopefully they can make two to three more. I think more of us need to have money. I don't think it's acceptable that there's 10 million. It's not okay. Because first of all, think about it. In order for me to sell $36 conditioners and for me to thrive, you have to be able to thrive because you got to be able to afford it. And the thing with white people, why they do so well and they could charge more is because their people can afford their products and more of their people can afford their products. So we need, we have to find a way to not be selfish and to not be scared of somebody else's success because the world is abundant. And we have to find a way to empower more black people because that just helps you. Like if there's more middle class to upper middle class black women and men, that means there's another customer for Audra Beauty. Like a girl that works at 
McDonald's isn't probably my customer. She has spent her whole paycheck on the collection. So and she I mean, your customer yet. And, and and she'll move up and and be able to, to right potentially you know yeah. we might have some customers at McDonald's that just you know I'm I'm just saying in the target demographic of things right, right? so mm-hmm. uh, we it's to me it just makes sense we need more black people to be in a better financial position regardless if it directly impacts my pocket or not we need that we need that to move on from the current state that we are in and that we have been in. And it's just that plain and simple. And until we do, we're not going to be able to effectuate any change. Nothing. Everything that you said, I mean, I couldn't have said it better myself. I think what's interesting is that there's a lot of conversation about being anti-capitalist and all of this, but it's just like, we need to be in the game. And I do think that, you know, it, it, it's unfortunate that we, it's unfortunate, but it's also the blessing of the black community that, like I said earlier, once we get a foot in the door, we're holding it open for others. And the way you just laid that out, I mean, it it was beautiful. And I, I hope other people, when they listen to this, they take that same stance because sometimes as we start to rise, we start to close our fists a little bit. We, we start to share the things that we've done a little bit less or we're sharing opportunities a little bit less. And I'm of the ilk where there's, a, there's more than enough to go around. And a lot of the things that I want for my life may not be identical to what you want. So I don't feel a way about bringing you along or bringing Along. Though I understand that because sometimes when you do try to open your hand, you get burnt. The same yeah. people open yeah. your hand to. So the closing of the hand sometimes is a defense mechanism. Is how they think to protect themselves. So I get it, but you know we we have to like. For me, it's like it's not that everybody is going to like me or everybody's going to like get me or and no one is going to disappoint me or no one's going to try to, um, you know, take advantage of me. I'm very clear that I might target 10 and two might be successful or none might be successful. But for me, what I always think about, I, I feel like the best way to get out of this life is to not let it harden you. Like to not bring in baggage from other relationships. And that's just not your intimate, that's business. Cause sometimes when we deal, when I deal with, with other black people, you can feel like they're like that, not because of me, but because before me, people did something to them, but they were super cautious with me. So I get it. And I think in a lot of ways, that's why I'm so reserved and I really am better one-on-one. I'm really not the person that if I'm in a room, the whole, I, I'm very reserved and very intimate and very one-on-one. And I think that that can read standoffish to people, but I'm not, I'm just not a crowd person. Like, I don't know. It's, a, it's about guarding your energy because, because you want to give, but it's like, we've all experienced the bullshit. Exactly. And just making sure that I'm super intentional with my time and with what I do. And I think it's important to still give and not to give with expectations and not to give with um, the person who you give to might not even be the actually nine times out of 10. They're not the person who you help is not the person that helped you. But what I found in my lifetime is 
I help people and they haven't returned the favor, but God has brought people that don't even know me into my life and they are the ones that help me. Even this yeah. man that I met for four days that didn't know me and wired money to me to, to do this. So I think it's really important to have faith and to still help because there's a bigger goal. But I understand when people are guarded because there's a lot of wolves, you know, in the mm -hmm. industry. And I think it makes them, because the more you do, the more you get, the more um, lashes you get on your back. You get a lot of, you know, people, the higher you go, it, it's so like, you become a it target. makes me so uncomfortable even now with this Sephora thing, because even though I'm super transparent on social media, on Instagram, for some reason, I feel like the same people are looking at my post and I'm talking to the same people. And now to put myself out there where everybody's looking at me and some people are looking at me for aspiration, no reasons, but some people are looking at me for waiting until I slip up and I say something mm. wrong or do something wrong to say, look at her. And that's going to happen because I'm a human being. I am not going to not ever slip up or you, you're not going to be okay with everything that I say and I do. But hopefully you know me and you know that it came from a good place. Hopefully right. you give me the benefit of the doubt. And I think that that's what we need to do with each other. Oh, you are just speaking to my soul. Like <laughs> you are really speaking to my soul. And I'm just so happy that we, we were able to have this conversation. I have a few more questions. I want to bring it back to Ajua Beauty um, because you, you talked about previously just manifesting certain things, like how you manifested the Sephora opportunity and you weren't even necessarily thinking in that realm. But you've said that, you know, Ajua Beauty, you want it to be a legacy brand. You want it to be around for a very, very long time. And you want to expand into other categories such as skin and body care. How soon can we expect this expansion? I know I'm putting a lot on you. You're like, girl, we just got in Sephora. Can you relax? <laughs> Yeah, I don't really know. I've been working on new stuff, honestly, since we launched. Mm -hmm. um, so just whenever things are ready, I don't yeah. let anybody rush my process because I want to make sure with our collection that when we launch something, one, it's needed in the market because people want you to make the same things everybody else has. But if I can't make what I feel is a better edge control gel, I probably just will never make it. We might not ever have an edge control gel because there's one on the market that I like better that I'm going to reach for. So, you know, I just kind of take my time with formulation and making sure that I understand what's going on. I know what people need and that I'm making it to where I can, mar I truly cannot market something for a long time and go hard with it if I don't really believe in it. And I know that sounds cliche, but that is very true for me. Mm -hmm. So, you know, hopefully soon, I think we're nearing some other things, but hopefully soon, you know, COVID kind of slowed down things. I was hoping to launch a few things this year, but I'm not really sure. We, we may, we may not just depending on how things look. Mm -hmm. Um, but hopefully soon, you know, we will definitely, now that we're in retail, we will definitely, you know, do, you'll definitely see a lot more from me and the brand. I think we just kind of coasted being on our own because I also found when you're so small um, and you're on your own, you don't really have a backing, like we don't have a Sephora. And if you put things out, someone could like 
take your idea and they have a louder voice than you. So I've been also intentional not to put everything out of Audra Beauty. Like really, I haven't really, like what's out is what we initially put out. We haven't really added anything to the pot, but I think now with the Sephora partnership, you'll definitely start to see more from us. And I don't really have a date on that yet, but hopefully sooner than later. Well, it's it's something for us to look forward to. So I want to leave off with just a word from you of encouragement to someone who is listening to this, who is sitting on an idea or wants to bring a product to market, or maybe they just want to transition, you know, from one field to the next. What would Julian say to them? The number one thing is to read and study your industry. Like not study your who you think are your competitors or the other black people to the left or right with of you, like study your entire industry, like know it from the top bottom. Cause I think that that helps with thought. Um, you know, we got compared to Glossier and you even brought it up. Maybe they had an impact because I read all of the beauty publications. Like I had a subscription to CEW. I had a, have a subscription to business of fashion. I have, I read beauty matters, independent mm-hmm. beauty, NPD retail um, drive. I mean, I, I read a lot. So I'm reading not about natural hair, not about the next, black brand or black owner, I'm reading about what's happening from the top down because whether we like it or not, even though we drive culture on what people are going to do when it comes to the capitalism and the, the retail and the making money, white people do that. You know what I mean? It's like we create it and they rebrand it and package it better and sell it and it becomes a main thing. And we can be upset about that or we can understand the game and learn how to play it. I feel like Americans are always too upset about that. I have conversation with my Black American friends and Black people and Africans all the time. And just from a foreigner perspective in general, I think the difference that I have is that immigrant mindset where this is not my country. I didn't make the rules, but I need to figure out how to play the game where mm-hmm. black people spend time arguing that the game isn't fair. And the game mm-hmm. isn't fair, but the game will never be fair. So I've accepted that the game isn't fair, and I've learned how to play the game. And how to play the game is to make sure you know what you're talking about. No matter who I'm talking to, whether that's Sephora or whether it's the next brand, I, I can have a retail conversation. I can have what's going on in the industry, what's you know what, what people are doing in fashion. Like, I... I have all of that covered, and I strongly believe that that influences how I even think and deduce thought within Audra Beauty, what I create, what I put out next, what are people buying, um, what's hot. You know, I read the other day that lip scrubs are all the rage. That makes sense, you know. And, you know, if I was in makeup, I would be focusing on eye stuff now because we all wear a mask. So it's just like knowing what's happening instead of creating blind or creating what the next company is doing, like read. And I know people have short attention spans, but I think reading is the one super important thing and knowing your industry top down so that you can compete. Um, We have to be able, when we form a company, to think of that company of possibly being a billion dollar company instead of wanting to make a million dollars because 
even though I know we never made these type of money before, a million dollar isn't a lot of money. Like I didn't think that prior to now, but you know, when I was working in corporate America, yeah, I'll take a million dollars, but a million dollars, I could put in two purchase orders right now for Sephora and that will absorb that. So it's not really a lot of money to move around or that can build you any type of legacy when these white girls are making brands and getting $400 million and selling it for a billion dollars. And we're selling for 20 million, 30 million, 40 million and being happy with that again, because we never had it before and nobody in our family has done it before. And that's great. That's an achievement, but that's not even the tip of the iceberg of what we're worth. No. So I was just saying, so I think reading changes your mindset and your perspective on possibility. That's the perfect way to end it. Um, so I think what, what I love, the, the main takeaways for me, I love that you described luxury as a service first and reading being, you know, if you're thinking about launching or transitioning in your career, being knowledgeable about the industry that you want to go into and not just focusing on whether it's your niche or something that, you know, the person next to you is doing. I think those are super, super key. And Julianne, before we get out of here, I just want to say I'm, I'm really proud of you. I'm really Thank proud you. of you. I appreciate it. And Thank I wish you... I, I wish you and your team all the best. I am really excited to see what comes next for you. And I'm just excited to see how your journey turns out. So please keep up the amazing work. I will do so. Thank you so much, Sakita. And congratulations to you and your accomplishments and highlighting us. Because yes. we need this. And, you know, no one's going to call us for podcasts except for our own. So I appreciate you for creating space for us. and all of the work that you've done as well to move the industry forward. I think all of those moving parts are needed in the grand scheme of things. So thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Sakita Method. I think we can all agree that Julian is a beast. Her perspective on business is a breath of fresh air, and I think we can all learn something from her. I'm going to drop her social media details in the episode notes. And remember, if you're tweeting about or sharing this episode online, use the hashtag the Sakita Method and tag me at Miss Success. That's M-I-S-S Success on both Instagram and Twitter. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, podcast, please rate this episode and leave a show review.